So we are, have back with us today Tom Entwistle. Hello, ladies. Hi. Hi. Lovely to have you here with us. Thank you. Um, we're doing a, a, a subject about uh, self-esteem, arrogance. You have a question you wanted to ask. Right. Uh, after listening to your last show, I was wondering, is confidence and self-esteem... Are they parallel? Do they intersect? Are they the same thing? What do you say about that? Okay, well, I would think they're not the same thing. Um, Self-esteem, the core of it, I think, is knowing who you are, being comfortable in your skin, and and knowing you're okay with who, who you are. Um, confidence could be, I have confidence in um, typing on a computer. I really know how to type. I can type with my eyes closed. I have the confidence in that. Acting, too. Acting, There are too. a lot of people like, people are very brilliant actors, but it completely don't have good self-esteem. And that seems That's to... That's a perfect example of, of that. And the reason why they want to be actors is because they've got no self-esteem. They've got to be somebody else in order to feel good so yes I don't I think confidence is something different um and I think if we put it with when we talked about self-esteem and arrogance I think confidence can become overconfident can become arrogance but self-esteem never is that's a really good point yeah That's absolutely a good point because you're right. It's like when somebody, for example, is, um, we'll just say tennis because that's something you do. You've probably noticed that even with, uh, you know, that some of the great tennis players are very totally confident in what they do. But you wonder if there is, is there anybody you can think of that didn't have good self-esteem who was a tennis player? They seem to have self-esteem. If you yeah. look at the, the top ten players of each generation, most of them quit school when they were 13, 14, 15. Mm. They got into tennis full-time, and maybe they were at a tennis facility that also educated them, but they played a lot of tennis, and everyone knew that they weren't here so much for education. They were here to play tennis. They're so gracious. They speak so well over the course of their career. Like Roger Federer is on the cover of every magazine. He quit when he was 15 years old or something. Yeah, and that just made a question come up for me in that oftentimes I think we're confident when we are confident of our expertise. That's it. That's but what happens when, when we stop that? Like what happens when we're no longer, uh, I mean, I think Tiger Woods is somebody different. He seems like he came from a meditative background and everything, but someone like Tiger Woods. But what happens when they're no longer the the great power that they were in the world they have? Or even if we just take smaller things, you know, like that's why so many people have 
difficulty retire, retiring, you can get a really top-rate doctor or even a, a top-rate uh, person. It doesn't have to be a huge career, but somebody who's been really known or confident in their career. When they stop and they don't have that career, it shows as to whether they have the, the self-esteem or not because then they start tumbling, I've noticed, a lot with people in retirement. If they don't have the self-confidence, they've identified so much with... What they do rather than who they are. Yes, and so that they start tumbling and they get sick and, you know, um, sometimes they find something else, but sometimes they don't. So going back to the tennis players that, that you know or you've watched for all these years, who of them maybe were great at tennis but terrible in a relationship? It's hard to say. You don't, you don't see them in relationship that much. Most of the time you see them, they're in a competitive, mm. uh, sanctified, you know, it's dog-eat-dog dog now. We're best friends, but... So you see them in relationship during interviews, but then, you you know, you get used to doing interviews, and yeah. so you can deliver it. I think probably the ones that throw their tennis rackets on the floor... You know, there was when John McEnroe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got <laughs> mad. He would one. just throw his tennis racket. That like that shows us lack of self confidence or frustration. Well, that and shows anger. a That's lack a, of trust exactly. too. Yeah. You know? yeah, how it all comes back to the. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Not you're not to judge because, you know, I mean, I often think you know you get these volatile people that this. They just, sometimes their art, which is tennis or whatever, comes out of the volatility. It's interesting because... For McEnroe it did. He was one of the few that could play better angry than Mm, when he was, or at least as good. Most Mm. people fall over the edge. They're no longer in balance and they can't play tennis or they can't do whatever it is anymore. That is true. Now, how about... um, Let's say you were confident in many things. You spoke five languages. You had a PhD in math. You were a golfer. You were a tennis player. You sang. You played. You had a lot of bases covered. Will this um, contribute to self-esteem? I think it might. The only thing is, what happens when that external world disappears and you're on, you suddenly have a stroke and you're not able to do any of those things? You don't even have access to your mind. You see, the thing is, self-confidence and self-esteem is so deep that it sits with you. And there's so many layers of it, of course, as well, for all of us. We're not always there. But um, when we rely on the outside then that that can always be taken away. Not taken away. We can always dis- disappear for us for one reason or other. But when we rely on the inside, that's always there for us. And I'm sure sometimes with a stroke it goes, it, it is difficult to access it again. But it's it's a difference between on the outside and on the inside, mm-hmm. I think. Now, what about a technique for developing self-esteem? Well, we have uh, one of the things I would say is just looking at yourself every day in the mirror. And And ask the question, my favorite question is always, who, think about this, who were you before the world told you who you are? Okay, that means from the time you were very little, when you looked into your parents' eyes, your caregiver's eyes, or your 
brother or sister's eyes and they looked at you with what they feared for you, what they were hoped for you, all their hopes and dreams and fears, that's what we take in. So from the time we're very little, we're taking in other people's opinions of us. And I think the self-esteem comes from really knowing yourself and for and being able to connect with that vastness within ourselves because when we again whenever it's an external thing it's going to it can be shaken or disappear but when we take the time to do a little meditation and we find that vast openness within ourselves and and we find that we can do the stop drop and go things which is I stop I drop into my body I put the corners of my lips up and I go on because I'm accessing the well-being when we're consistently accessing the well-being within us we got it it may it won't be consistent but we just do the stop drop and go all as much as we can in the day and it grows so i i think it's just um there's so many amazing techniques by so many amazing people yeah that's lucky they're out there they're out there. They're out there. We're so out there. Let me, let me just tell you a quick little story. Sure, sure. Because I think we've stories. got time. Uh-huh. This is, I was 15 years old. I so wanted to be an actress. I had this plan for years since I was a kid. Um, and so I got a job in a Jewish summer camp for kids learning drama. And I thought, oh, this is wonderful. And it turned out that I was making cream cheese and jelly sandwiches for (laughs) 300 kids every day. That was my job. But here's my first experience with someone who had self-esteem. And this was a a young man. He was probably in his, I was 15, so he could have been 19, 20, 21. And he was one of the counselors, the drama coaches, a music coach. And he was not an attractive person to look at in where we would assume, you know, oh, this, it's not Robert Redford, or it's mm-hmm. not Johnny Depp or Brad Pitt. So this wasn't someone that you would look at. This man, he, he, he knew exactly who he was. He sh- it sh- shone through him. He didn't have to show me that he could play the piano, that he could act. He, he, I couldn't, I could he was breathtaking to me. I just totally fell in love because this was someone who knew who they were. And it, they didn't need to be told, oh, you're ugly or you're attractive or you're skinny or you're fat or you're, you know. It's like someone said to me recently, well, you know, you're unattractive when you're fat, but now that you're slim, I can be attracted to you. Mm-hmm. And I looked at this person and I said, you know, I'm the same person. Absolutely. And, you know, the wonderful thing is that when we have, when we encounter somebody who's that confident, um, it enables us to have a bit of a key into our own exactly. confidence and well-being. So well, it's such a beautiful yeah. thing to see. It's such mm-hmm. a beautiful thing. It's rare, thing. actually, in this culture. And to be in, in the company of somebody who's comfortable like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Another wonderful story, Joe. Thank you. Earth Drive Radio.